Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U fund to give yourself a straight talk wireless extended silver unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. So he goes off to New York and I'm really proud of him and I'm excited. I never knew anybody that was on that show. Two weeks later, I got a call from him from Lauren Michael's house. He goes, Kev, I'm in the back bedroom. I'm, I'm at Laura Michael's house out in Long Island. Oh, guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray. I'm like, no, no way. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Lauren is looking for one more cast member. I told him about you, and I think he's going to want to see your audition tapes. And I'm like, Bill Murray's in the kitchen? <laughs> I wasn't even hearing that other stuff. You know, I wouldn't even believe. I didn't even want to acknowledge it because I knew I'd never get on that show because I don't do characters or accents. I'm just a stand-up, a really, really right. good stand-up. And, uh, <laughs> Hi, my name is Kevin Nealon, and I have a real sugar addiction. I'm not kidding. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Off the Beat. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. As you just heard, Kevin Nealon, the 
Kevin Nealon is my guest on the podcast today. Kevin happens to be a good friend and one of my favorite golfing partners of all time. Now, not only does he have the same name as the best character on The Office, Kevin Malone, but he's also had the career of a lifetime, starring on SNL, Late Night with David Letterman, Man with a Plan, and, of course, Weeds. Plus, he's recently become quite the YouTube star with his hilarious web series, Hiking with Kevin. From his open mic days to now, we're going to dive into Kevin's incredible career, as well as some of his hidden talents. Did you know that he is an extremely talented caricaturist? I would say that I'm surprised, but I'm honestly not. If you are Kevin Nealon, you really can do everything. I won't keep you waiting. Here he is, Kevin Nealon. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hello, there he is. Kevin. How are you? Good. I love you. Got a big staff working for you. I mean, listen, this is what happens when you're a Kevin, I guess, right? I know it. I know it. Don't you have a big staff? I don't. I don't I'm self-contained. <laughs> I just don't know that I need it. I definitely do. There's no question about that. <laughs> I, I can't remember if I've ever told you this before. The very first time that I met you... We were playing golf together, I think. That's right. We were playing in the same uh, tournament. In the same tournament. This is Circa, not Circa. It was actually 2008. I looked it up 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Wow. You and myself and Charles Barkley. We were playing in a threesome together in Lake Tahoe. We teed off and we had, well, because of you and Charles mostly, we had a large gallery following us. I was very nervous. We teed off. All I know is we didn't hit our balls in the same place. They were definitely in different areas, and we were walking not together down the fairway. And a bunch of people started yelling, Kevin, Kevin. Me, being me, of course, assumed that they were yelling Kevin at me because at the time, especially, everyone called me Kevin. And I remember turning around, big smile on my face, and waving graciously to the gallery. And they were fully talking to you. Uh, I remember being so humili- so so humiliated and filled with like self-loathing. Like, of course, they're talking to Kevin Neal and not me. What are you thinking? I, I probably didn't even share that with you at the time because I was so embarrassed and nervous about it. Well, I will tell you, you don't have to be embarrassed because that group of people were probably my family and my friends. And they wear their Team Neal and T-shirts. Yes. And they will do that on occasional holes. But I will tell you, I was, it took me like five years of that tournament to get over being nervous. I couldn't even hit the ball. I was like duffing it, you know, taking big divots out. And when the camera was on me, I was just a mess. It it truly is my favorite week of the year. I I try to get better. It's always embarrassing, but um, I know it's, it's incredibly humbling for sure to be out there. I love it. All right. Enough about golf. Uh, You grew up in Connecticut, and I, I read, as a child, you lived in Germany for a while. Yeah, I did. 
relocated there or was that a life choice or? Yeah, my father worked for a helicopter company, Sikorsky's, and they had a deal with a German, I guess, my father calls it a German outfit. For the longest time, I thought he worked for Lederhosen, <laughs> you know, but it was uh, another helicopter company. And unlike a lot of the military who lived on the army base, we lived in a German neighborhood. So my friends are mostly German. So I picked it up pretty quickly and, you know, became fluent in German. And, you know, in just four years that I was six until I was 10. I mean, those are the years you absorb everything. Right. My sister and her husband and their two kids actually right about your age, they just did the same thing. He got moved over there through his work and their kids are, were about the same age and were located in Stuttgart oh, yeah. for three years. Do you feel like that change you as a child? Did that give you something you, you feel like? Yeah, it was amazing. I don't remember at the time if I left friends in Connecticut and I was bummed out, but you know, it was the first time I went on an airplane. And, you know, Europe is not that big. And there's so many countries there. So during my father's, you know, vacations, we would drive like to Paris or we drive. I learned how to ski in the Alps. I learned how to swim in Greece. And it was like probably the best time of my life. You know, I could ski in my front yard, you know, that had apple orchards. And I put on a pair of skis and ski down, walk up the hill. It was great. Yeah. My, my sister did the same thing, traveled all around. Yeah. And skied in the Alps and exactly what you said. And I mean, to be exposed to so many different cultures and countries and languages at such an early age, that's an incredible life experience, right? It really is. It really is. I got my Irish passport a couple of years ago because I thought it'd be great to live in Europe for a while. I wouldn't need a visa and I could work there and bring my family. That's my bucket list. So I might do that. Maybe after my son goes off to college, my wife and I will go there and then he'll come in the summer. You have dual citizenship? I do. Yeah. Because my grandparents are from uh, Ireland. They came over from Ireland. So that made me eligible. But I had to jump through a lot of hoops to get that passport. I had a lot of paperwork. I had to get a lot of certificates. I had to get my, had to get my grandfather's death certificate, which was not easy because first I had to kill him, you know? <laughs> Come on. That, uh, <laughs> and those I, Irish guys, they don't go down easy. No, no, they don't. I, I'm going out of order here, but I just went back and watched several of your earliest uh, appearances on uh, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Wow, you did your homework. I did, and it kind of cut off. The, the video was kind of cut off. It seemed like he was almost mid-sentence and said something and said, a man with a very interesting sense of humor or something like that. Absurd. I think absurd, yeah. Absurd sense of humor. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to tell you, um, I auditioned for the part of Michael in The Office. Yes. And apparently I got, I've, I'm told I got close to getting it. You didn't get it? You weren't Michael Scott? No, no I, maybe I was for a half a second. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that would have, I used to go on auditions against Steve Carell a lot. Really? And he would always get it. Yeah. What, what do you remember about that audition experience? I remember going into the bungalow at Universal. Yeah. Greg Daniels, who I've known from SNL. He was a writer on SNL. I sat down in a chair and I did my part and he goes, thank you. <laughs> like we didn't even know each other, but thank you very right. much. And I left and, uh, and I didn't hear back. I didn't hear back at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I was up for a show when I first moved to LA. If we could talk about me for a minute. Yeah. I was in LA maybe two or three years. I was 27 by that time. And I got an audition at Paramount and I got five callbacks and I thought, oh, this is it. Finally, after toiling for three long years, I'm going to get a show. And uh, the producers, after the fifth time, they look at each other. They go, well, we're not getting any closer than this. <laughs> and I walked outside of that office. And I looked at Paramount. I thought, well, this is going to be my new home. 
week goes by, two weeks, I don't hear anything. And then I hear they're looking for an older actor for the role. And that part was for, uh, te- uh, it was for Sam and Cheers. Really? Yeah. You auditioned for Sam Malone on Cheers and for Michael Scott on The Office and got neither of them. That's right. But I did get other things, so I can't complain. No, you can't. You know? It's funny, you know, the course your life takes, had I gotten that show, I wouldn't be probably with my same wife here. I wouldn't be on my second marriage. (laughs) (laughs) But enough about me. Where are you from? Well, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I didn't live in Germany. I didn't, I certainly didn't audition for Sam Malone on Cheers. Yeah. You wanted to be a stand-up? Is that what you wanted to be? That's all I wanted to be. It was a stand-up. I went to school for marketing. I have a BS in marketing, but stand-up was really what I loved. You know, I would watch every stand-up comic on every talk show from Merv Griffin to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I would highlight their name in the TV guide and be, you know, be sure to watch them, like you know George Miller and David Letterman. And, and I thought, that's the coolest job. And I remember, I'd never been to California, but I went to New York to check out the comedy clubs, and it terrified me because the audience was so brash and tough, and the comics like Richard Belzer would come out, and they were like real New Yorkers. So... I decided to go to LA and I, the day I remember I made that decision, I was raking leaves in my front yard at my parents' home and I had a radio out there so I could listen to the music. And then the news came on and it said, Freddie Prince, the comedian from back in the eighties had killed himself. And for some morbid reason, I thought, well, there's an opening in LA, you know, for a standup. <laughs> is that true? It is because it, it was really, it wasn't because of that though. It made me realize how big of an impact comedy could have on the world. But anyway, I thought that's, that's really um, my uh, impetus to go out there. And also, I get to see California. Right. It's interesting to me. Obviously, you became famous on SNL, which is known for much more of the improv people from Second City and whatever. And that, that stand-up was really your focus and wanting to do that. Did you want to be an actor even? Or was it really about making people laugh or being on stage and being it was All I wanted to be was a stand-up. I loved Steve Martin. I, I discovered Steve Martin. A lot of people don't know that, but I knew him from doing his, you know, little bits on SNL or The Tonight Show, and nobody else had heard of him. And then people started like hearing about him, and I thought, no, 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 that's my comic, that's mine, you know. Uh, but stand up was what I really wanted to do, and and I'm still doing it like 43 years later. And as far as being an actor, I really had no intention to be an actor. I remember I was sitting at the bar at the Improv, and Mark Lanau who was teaching an acting class, and he was Bud Freeman's partner eventually, who owns the improv. He asked me if uh, I would thought about acting. And I said, not, not really. I just want to do stand-up. He goes, well, you know, you should think about it. You know, take a lesson maybe. I teach cold reading. And sometimes these casting agents come into the room, and they'll see a comic, and they'll want them to come in for an audition. I thought, okay. And so I took some acting classes around L.A. and went through that whole, I don't know if you went through this, but that whole rigmarole of auditioning, you know, the, the nerves that come with that and the humiliation. It's so difficult. And it's so, it's so antithetical to what we actually do, right? Whether it's performing on stage or being in front, you know, that like five people sitting in a room staring at you, not laughing is so it's unnatural and difficult. And you feel like just give me a camera or find me a real audience. It's so difficult. I remember I had an audition for a McDonald's commercial once the part called for somebody so upset about the Big Mac, they had to cry. And I had just broken up with my girlfriend, or she broke up with me, and I was devastated. I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I pulled myself out of bed to do this commercial, 
And I got in front of them. It was like the judges on American Idol sitting behind the table. And when it got to the part where I had to cry, I let loose. And they're looking at me so sympathetically. And, oh, that's poor, you know. And uh, after the audition was over, they just sat there like in awe and just, you know, like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. <laughs> Two or three weeks later, I got a call back. But now I'm kind of over the girl. You're so over I can't it. bring the tears, you know. <laughs> so I brought my answering machine tape at the time they had those little tapes and the answering machine. I brought that and I sat in the car outside with her eight by 10 headshot and I played her breaking up with me over and over. And then I went inside and I still couldn't, I couldn't bring the emotion. (laughs) So she screwed me over twice. (laughs) Uh, You didn't get the job, I'm guessing. No, I did not. No, I didn't. I came really close. They said, we're not getting any closer than this. And then I heard they're going with an older guy. (laughs) Do you consider your big break Johnny Carson? Probably the highlight of my career, more so than Saturday Night Live or Weeds. Really? Because it's what I aspired to do. I used to go watch that show when I first moved to LA. I would, they gave out free tickets like around three in the afternoon. And I would go around five, you know, right before the show started. And I knew if I went up and down the line and I sympathetically asked people, do you have an extra ticket? And I would always get one. And it was like a Vegas show. I'd go in there and I'd see Johnny would come out and then Paul, you know, whoever the guest was, comics, Paul McCartney. And the band, and I remember everybody in the band, the instrument they played. So when I finally did that show, I knew exactly what was going on. I knew that the band was right there to the left. I knew that guy that played the trombone and the curtains open up. And I walk out to my, on the way out to my spot, you know, Johnny Carson gives you a wave and Ed McMahon. And I had totally forgotten my act. I couldn't remember it. And I got to the spot. And by the time the audience stopped clapping, it finally came to me. I was so relieved. And it was probably, yeah, it was such um, a natural high to do that show. I was outside of my body. I was saying to myself, as I'm routinely doing my set, I'm doing the Tonight Show. I'm doing the Tonight Show, finally. That's amazing. Was this with the map? No, no. This was a thing called The Choices. And it was like, you know, things you kind of do as a kid. I said, you know, it's hard to make decisions in life, isn't it? And uh, I go, you know, like, would you rather, you know, have a soup or a salad? And they go, soup. I go, yeah, me too. That was easy. All right, let me think of a better choice. Okay, would you rather have a headache or a stomach ache? They go, oh, headache. I say, yeah, me too. I don't want them to throw up. All right, these are easy. Let me think of a better one. Would you rather be buried into your neck up to dirt and then have your head painted like a soccer ball and have some Brazilian kids start hanging around? Or would you rather get your finger slammed in a car door and have the guy drive away through a car wash? And I, soccer ball. Yeah, me too. They might use hot wax at the car wash. So I was doing that. <laughs> And Johnny Carson loved it. That's what got me on that show. Okay. And that's why he said the second time I was on, this this guy has an absurd sense of humor. Okay. That's amazing. I watched this morning the uh, the map, which is genius. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still today. It's genius. Um, if, if people have not seen it, I don't know, Google it, Kevin Nealon, Johnny <laughs> Carson. It's amazing. You, you went on to do Dave's show a lot. Now, did you know him, David Letterman? Sorry, I don't know why I call him Dave. Like, we're great friends. Did you know him from the stand-up scene prior to that? I did know him. When I first moved to um, California, I lived in San Diego for like three or four months. And I would go to the comedy store in La Jolla. And there was two comics that I really liked. And I didn't know which one was which. One of them had a gap between his teeth. And the other one had a big chin. And whatever the name was on the marquee, I couldn't. I didn't know who I was going to see. And it was Letterman and Leno. Yeah. But I think I did Letterman before I did The Tonight Show. Oh, okay. You probably know better than me because I forget. I can't remember the names of any of my characters and the stuff I've done. You know, I watch reruns of SNL and I'm in a sketch and I have no idea what that sketch is about. 
know, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, what, where are we going with this? You know? Right. Who's your favorite stand-up you ever saw? Yourself excluded. Well, I think it would have to have been uh, Steve Martin at the Universal Amphitheater with the Blues Brothers opening up for him, probably in 1981 or something. It was just the energy in that stadium and everybody with their noses and their glasses, you know, the fake noses yeah. that he wore and the arrows through the head. I thought, this is incredible. And I've seen other comics, too, that were really impressive, like Eddie Azard. You know, he would come out. It's like a rock show. It's like a rock and roll concert with the smoke and everything. And yeah. Robin Williams, oh, my God, probably the most incredible, impressive comic. I used to be, you know, hang out at the Improv all the time on Melrose in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I was a bartender there for a couple of years. And this is as soon as I moved out here. And I was there almost every night. You know, I started getting on and doing open mic nights. And, and the amount of people that would come into that bar area and then perform. I mean, everyone from, you know, I got a, when I was bartending, I got a phone call with Steve Martin. who was wondering if Bud was around. He wanted to come down and do a set. I said, you come down and do a set right now. <laughs> and uh, Albert Brooks would come in and Andy Kaufman was always there. And I'd see Robin come in after Mork and Mindy with the same outfit on with the suspenders. And it was pretty magical just being in that room. And I would watch, I'd go up to the office upstairs and look through the peephole because it was so packed. And Richard Lewis, you know, he was such, he was a lot of expatriates from New York. And Richard Lewis really connected with them. Just everybody would kill it in that room. There's such the energy. And then out in the bar area in the 80s, it became like this most popular place to go, to dance and to hang out with people. And I mean, I've seen everybody come in there from Timothy Leary to Bob Fosse, you know, every actor. And it was such a famous place to be. And people would, and they had a jukebox there. And it got to a point where it became like a dance club. Wow. But um, yeah, it was pretty magical. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot. But the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. You're in L.A., and I understand Dana Carvey, who was a, a roommate of yours, right, in L.A.? Well, I lived in a, a rental house in the Hollywood Hills that a friend of mine turned me on to. He, was, he had found it, and then he was trying to get some guys to rent it out. So I rented a bedroom there, and then a, a friend of mine, a writer, rented another bedroom. And then Dana was coming down from San Francisco a lot. And we told him that there was a studio apartment over the garage if he wants to rent that while he's in town. So he did that. So yeah, we all kind of lived together for a while. Okay. And he gets cast on SNL. This is circa 86. Is that right? 86, yeah. 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 So he gets cast. I I was so excited for him because he does impressions and characters and accents. And and so he goes off to New York and I'm really proud of him and I'm excited. I never knew anybody that was on that show. Two weeks later, I got a call from him from Lauren Michaels' house. He goes, Kev, I'm in the back bedroom. I'm at Lauren Michael's house out in Long Island. Guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray. I'm like, no, no way. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Lauren is looking for one more cast member. I told him about you, and I think he's going to want to see your audition tapes. And I'm like, Bill Murray's in the kitchen? <laughs> I wasn't even hearing that other stuff. You know, I wouldn't even believe. I didn't even want to acknowledge it because I knew I'd never get on that show because I don't do characters or accents. I'm just a stand-up, a really, really right. good stand-up. And, <laughs> and so uh, I sent my tape in. And then two weeks later, I get another call from Dana. Kevin, back at Laura Michael's house in the back bedroom. This was in the kitchen. Steve Martin. No way. He goes, yeah. Hey, good news. Lauren, like your tapes. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I said, Steve Martin's in the kitchen. You know? <laughs> and I take the flight to New York. It's a free trip to New York, at least. And I go to 30 Rock, and I go up to Studio 8H, which is where they tape the show. And as soon as I walked in there, I got really tired. 
because I used to fall asleep watching that show and it was an association thing. Come on. Is that true? That's not true. Yeah. Okay. That is true. And then I do my little audition and I fly back to LA. And two weeks later, I find myself sitting in a high rise across from Laura Michaels in Beverly Hills. He's offering me a job on SNL. I said, thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. Let me think about it over the weekend. See the way that's the way I roll. That's how I massage the deal. But he saw right through me. He goes, you think about it over the weekend. We'll see you in New York on Monday. So yeah, he was right. Next thing you know, I'm out at Laura Michaels' house. I got a call from Dana. Kevin, back out of Laura Michaels' house. I'm in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, that's me, tough guy. I'm in the kitchen now. <laughs> Who is your favorite person to work with on SNL? Uh, I mean, work with everybody. Everybody was great, but of course, you mean as far as the hosts? No, I mean. Oh, you mean the cast? Yeah, the cast. Um, you know, I didn't really like any of them, but. Uh, <laughs> Same with me on my no, show. Yeah. I liked, uh, you know, I liked a lot of people. Adam Sandler, Dana Carvey, I hung out with a lot. I mean, I liked everybody, but I'd seem to hang out more with uh, Dana and, you know, Sandler. And, you know, a lot of times you, you didn't really hang out too much because you're working all the time. You know, you're always in the studio or home, you know, writing or thinking about the sketches. But, you know, as far as the hosts were concerned, I, I got to work with a lot of my idols and the bands that came through there were these dinosaur bands that I grew up listening to, like, you know, Paul McCartney and Mick Jagger, Paul Simon, James Taylor, Aerosmith, Eric Clapton. And some of them would stay after the show to do a, a little concert for the audience, which is cool. That's really cool. I remember one time Eddie Vedder was playing on the show and he comes up to me. I knew him a little bit. He told me he used to come and see me because he lived in San Diego. He used to, he would surf a lot and he would come and see me at the improv down there whenever I was performing because he was a fan. This is before Pearl Jam even. Wow. I thought that's really cool. I wish I, you know, was introduced to him. But then I find out later his girlfriend was a server there. So that's probably why he was really going <laughs> to see his girlfriend. To see his girlfriend to get free drinks, probably. Yeah, exactly. What do you think is key to your longevity on the show? Obviously, one of the longest tenured cast members ever. And as you said before, you weren't an improv guy. You were, you were, you know, didn't do characters. You were a stand-up guy. What, what, what do you think the key to your success being on the show so long? Well, I wasn't looking for an overnight success. I was just happy to be on that show because I was like surprised I'd ever be on that show. So I was content on enjoying it as long as I could. And other people, they would get really um, impatient if they weren't a star in one year and they throw things around and, you know, they felt bitter. But I was just sitting back and enjoying like the different bands that came through and the hosts and learning how to write sketches and, you know, learning how to do characters. And it was such a, uh, uh, just a really cool time for me, you know, those nine years. That was the longest at the time, I think me and Tim Meadows. But, you know, since then, I think Keenan was on there for like 14 years or something. And also um, Daryl Hammond was on there for, I think, 46 years. <laughs> He's still on, right? Kind of? You're still employed? He's still on. <laughs> he was there longer than uh, Lauren Michaels. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, I remember that was a super cool experience for me once. The office started going. I remember there's, you know, you want to come to SNL? And I said, Yeah, are you kidding? I've been a fan of that show forever. Well, you you go to Lauren Michaels' office and you watch from and I was like, What are you talking about? They said, It's that the balcony over on the second, the second floor. And you go in Lauren's office and look over and watch and experience that. It's such a thrill. Yeah, it really is. Now now he kind of positions himself under the bleachers in front of a monitor. Mm -hmm. And he'll always have these like past hosts hanging around like Paul Rudd or Tom Hanks. 
and that's kind of his hangout area. But yeah, it was a great experience. I just loved it. I loved it. And you know, the hardest part about that show, you know what the hardest part was? It was getting my friends in, making sure they had tickets. You know, if they didn't, then I had to go run downstairs and, you know, and I hear I was about to go on and I'm like, you know, did you guys get in? You got, are you all set? Okay. You didn't get the tickets. Okay. I got to make some calls, you know, I'll make some calls. I'm sure. But one of the uh, things I remember the most is before my first sketch ever on that show, you psych yourself out. You say, nobody's watching it anymore because, you know, the year before it was very low ratings and they almost pulled the plug on it. So that's how I, I, you know, I kind of got over the, I was still nervous, but we were five seconds away from coming back from the commercial. And I had written a sketch, Mr. Subliminal, which was kind of a complicated sketch to do because it was like two conversations going on at once. And we're literally five seconds away from action. And Laura Michaels comes up to me. He puts his hand on my shoulder. He said, are you sure this is what you want? You know, to be funny. Like, is this yeah. how you want, you're going to, you want to be famous, you know? Yeah. How did weeds come about? Did you audition for weeds? I did. Weeds came about, you know, they sent me the script and I said weeds on the cover. And I thought, oh man, not another like stoner thing. This stuff has been done to death. And I wasn't that, you know, anxious to read the script, but then I read it and it was so good. The characters were great and the story was great. And then I heard I had to go audition for it. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get this. You know, it's just too good. Yeah. So I go in to audition for it. And there's a lot of good actors in the, you know, the waiting to go in and, and read, you know, like, um, you know, De Niro, Lawrence Olivier, Meryl <laughs> Streep, you know, a lot of good actors. Right. <laughs> anyway, I beat them all out because I'm a pro, you know, I'm a professional. <laughs> you are. <laughs> anyway, I read, I read for it to Genji Cohen, who was the uh, creator of the show. And she, you know, couldn't have been more pleased. I mean, it was like the perfect part for me. You know, Doug Wilson. Mm -hmm. That's the one name I remember from a character. Yeah. But, you know, after SNL, I had done a couple of failed sitcoms. And I was starting to wonder, I thought, will I ever do anything as notable or maybe as notable as SNL? And then this show Weeds came along. And a lot of people asked me, do they smoke pot on that show? Is it really pot? I said, no, it's, they, you know, there wouldn't be a show. It's a honey rose herb that they smoke in most movies and television shows. It's, it's very kind of light, you know, on your, but I got a little lightheaded because I'm not a smoker. And also we get it from the honey rose herb cartel in Colombia. So, you know, it's got a little <laughs> kick to it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Weeds is a totally different kind of show. Obviously, your focus is stand-up. You've done SNL, live television for so many years. Was it difficult for you to work on such a different type of show for such a long period of time? I think it was the first single-camera show I did. You know, it was the total opposite of SNL because SNL is so immediate. It's live, and there's no waiting around in the trailer, you know, for uh, the lighting or whatever. And it's no, like, you know, shooting out in... Uh, Santa Clarita at two in the morning. Right. So SNL was kind of immediate like that. So this, this was like a process. It's really a, a challenge to do a single camera show because it's like shooting a movie every week. But I learned that my uh, trailer became my office and I would have a lot of stuff in there. I'd have my you know, musical instruments. I'd have drawing pads. You know, I, I like to paint. So that was, that was good. I had a lot of free time. Yeah. People that I talk to are so shocked by how much time it takes to get that one hour one 45 minutes or whatever of television. But yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a very different kind of muscle that you're, you're working when you work on that single camera type show. Yeah, it really is. And you know, uh, one of the other things is on SNL, I'm playing like different characters every week. This was the same character, Doug Wilson on weeds for nine years. So that was interesting, you know, kind of developing and formulating this character. What was your process for, for helping to develop Doug? Well, 
you know, like I said, Genji saw me as, at the audition and she thought this is the perfect role for you. You know, I wasn't like Doug Wilson, but I could play that type of guy really easy. And I never wrote anything, but I embellished a lot of scenes, you know, like when I'm in the city council and, you know, Elizabeth Perkins character, I can't remember her name, but she'd be up talking and we had this real kind of, you know, a relationship that was not great at all times. And she's talking and I decided that I would clip my toenails as she was talking. And then I watched him go flying across the room and that really <laughs> agitated her. So things like that, you know, yeah. or I bring a headboard in, you know, for a bed, we're setting up a bed. And I have the headboard in my hand. <clears throat> and instead of just leaning against the wall, I take it and I start knocking it against the wall, you know, as if there's some action going on in the bed. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, little things like that. Yeah. Uh, an incredible show and and really political in a bizarre way. I mean, you know, Weeds comes out, marijuana is not legal in any state at the time. And I I feel like that show helped sort of change the dialogue in a way or, you know, change the perception or sort of in terms of entertainment, really examined a different sector of people who were using and smoking marijuana, right? Yeah, it was a different uh, sector of people because normally you see just a lot of stoner guys, you know, like Sean Penn's character, Matthew McConaughey, you know, just all mm -hmm. stoners. But this was like normal, regular people, you know, in a regular world with kids. It was uh, interesting like that. You know, it was um, it was kind of a new kind of a breakthrough. And the th other thing about that show was it was one step ahead of everything else. Like the town of Agrestic burnt down. Mm -hmm. And I think two weeks after our show aired, there was a big fire in Valencia. We did a, a, a season about a tunnel that was being dug from Mexico into the U.S. And then a month later, they discovered a tunnel that was being dug into uh, the U.S. Wow. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Why are you still on the road doing stand-up? What is it that for well, I you... love stand-up. Uh, it's always been my first love, like I said. I love the, um, the art of crafting a joke and deliver. And it's, again, it's immediate. It's immediate reaction from the audience for me. It's something I'll probably do. And I'll probably, you know, my life will probably end on the road somewhere. <laughs> do you now... It's got to be easier for you now than when you start. So many people know you. You're headlining. Do you ever have shows that just don't work? Not really. No. I mean, some work better than others, right. but nobody ever walks out and there's no complaints. <laughs> you know, like I remember, you know, there's some comics like Norm MacDonald used to have a lot of walkouts and I kind of never uh, ventured into those areas. Mine is pretty safe. It's pretty clean. You know? Right. And I, and I have a good cross section for an audience, you know, SNL fans or Weeds fans or Adam Sandler films. Right. And the uh, and the club owners always say you have you bring in such a nice audience you have a a red wine sophisticated audience <laughs> and this is how they know how to order how to order you know their inventory like we have to order a lot of extra red wine when you come in <laughs> yeah I respect and admire you so much that you're still out there on the road that you love it so much that you face that uh, I don't know that demon is that is that the wrong way to say you face that. That beast every night, I, I admire that so much. Well, it's not every night. Well, I, you know what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, used, I never, like, stopped doing comedy for more than two weeks in a row. That was, like, a long time. So when the pandemic hit, it was such a good thing for me, like everybody else. You know, I just put away my act. I didn't even think about it. And then 
when things started picking up again, like at parking lots or outdoor venues, I had to kind of like revisit my act. I couldn't remember a lot of it. And then I started like just creating new material, which was great. So it was like a house cleaning. Yeah, that's great. But I do love it. I love, you know, and I've moved on to other things too. Like I love to paint now. You know, I do these digital art drawings. Uh, if people go to Kevin Neal and Artwork on Instagram, I do caricatures of different celebrities. And I have a book coming out in November. Oh, you do? I love them, Kevin. I was going to ask you about this. You know, you say caricatures, and I, and I know that's how you describe it. And I guess it is in a way, but I find with so many of the subjects that you find a real humanity and reality. You capture the essence of those people so well, your subjects. I'm so impressed with it. Is this something you've always done? Is this a new skill for you? Well, thank you for that. And it, it's kind of a new skill, but I've, I've always, you know, drawn since grammar school, you know, we had to draw maps without tracing them. And I mean, I think that was my first experiences during characters was a caricature of a map. Like, you know, Italy wouldn't be a boot at the end. It would be a platform shoe, you know? Right, right. So I've always doodled on the side of my, the margins of my papers, or even during SNL, if I wasn't in a sketch, I'd be doodling, you know, somebody sitting across from me, Phil Hartman or, you know, Dana Carvey, anybody. Right before the pandemic, I was sitting at LAX. I was looking at some some of these character artists on Instagram, and they're really good. They're much better than me now, but they're really good. And I saw one guy, he had a, an ad for lessons, and he was really, I liked his work. So he was from England. So I, I got a hold of him, and I took 10 lessons from him, you know, via Skype. And he kind of taught me how to, you know, work with um, digital artwork and tablets and doing caricatures. And then I just started coloring them in and you know, using the, the stylus as a paintbrush and the different paints. I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, it finally all came together where I was, everything I learned just growing up, I just kind of incorporated. And I also used to love watching the caricature artists, like, you know, at these street fairs or at the carnivals. I would stand behind them forever and watch them, you know, how they would make the eyes big or, you know, the ears and uh, and then showing it to the person. Yeah, I I've watched a bunch of your... I don't know what if you call it like time lapse. For those of you who haven't seen Kevin's work, you include at times you attempting to find your final picture, some different incarnations, and you see, I don't know, the one that's yeah. sticking out in my mind that that I saw very recently was John Travolta. And it's like you I see you sort of experimenting with the nose or with the lips or with how the cigarette dangles out of his mouth. I feel like I'm watching you create the exact look that you're going for to capture the essence of that person. I find that really interesting. Oh, thanks. Well, I'll tell you, I, it doesn't happen overnight for me. It takes me a long time to draw each one of those because I'm, I'm not like these guys who do it for a job as illustrators. I know a lot of these guys now. They don't do it a lot like me. They'll draw the face and then the, their evolution is just coloring it in and painting it because they've already got the shape of the face. I've got to take a long time. Sometimes it takes a week or two. But, you know, I'm getting quicker at it now, and, and I do like showing the uh, process. And by the way, the name of my book is called uh, I Exaggerate, My Brushes with Fame. Okay. And it'll be out in November. And it, on each uh, opposite side of the picture, Brian, there's a little antidote, how I knew that person or an experience we had together. Or if I don't know that person, like Freddie Mercury, I'll just muse about my first concert or whatever. Right. So I'm excited. Oh, that's it's really awesome. And uh, you just mentioned it. So I also enjoyed going down the rabbit hole and reading the descriptions of um, so many of the subjects that you've painted, Steve Martin and Travolta, you 
tell it. I, I won't spoil that one, but really interesting story about him on SNL. Yeah. Also, you have a YouTube show, right? Hiking with Kevin. I do. That's my little web series. Yeah. How have you found doing that? Are you enjoying that? I love it. I love it so much because I used, well, I still do, but I love to hike in the canyons around LA. And it's something I really enjoy. I, I go out there for meditation just while I'm walking. I meditate thinking. I write a lot when I'm walking. In fact, I, I did a hike with Lin-Manuel Miranda in New York. Nice. And we went to a park where he said he grew up as a kid. He'd walk up there and play. And, and that's exactly where he wrote a lot of Hamilton, walking on those trails up there. And so I, you know, I, I agreed. It's a great place to write. I was hiking with Matthew Modine once, and we were both so out of breath. I thought this would be funny if uh, I was interviewing and we were both out of breath. You know, we couldn't understand what we were saying. So I videotaped that. I posted it on uh, Twitter. And then I just got other friends and started hiking with them. Then my equipment got better. And then I got a YouTube channel. And then I got a GoPro on the end of a selfie stick. And then I got a drone. And I'm editing it myself, you know, on Premiere Pro. <laughs> so it's become quite the... And I just started season four. I've only hiked twice, once with uh, Eugene Levy and once with Julian Lennon. Awesome. It just started season four. Yeah. I mean, it's not airing yet, but I started taping it. Okay. It's not so much hiking with me, but there's a, a course that I play a lot in LA where you walk golfing. And I have said to many people who ask me about golf or what I love about golf, it is that time for me where my mind goes away, where I'm not self-obsessing or thinking about small details I'm simply thinking about one objective, which is to get the ball in the hole, whether playing alone or with others where we're not communicating that much. That time away from me, I've had some of my best ideas and able to just sort of let the banality of everyday life sort of go and focus on that one objective actually has, brings me greater enlightenment. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I love golf and playing golf it sounds like hiking for you is brings you there you're not a stand-up so where what would you do with these ideas well talk to somebody like you or <laughs> or yeah or write or ideas for projects or yeah. other conversations that i want to have yeah so for you it's jokes is that's that's what comes to you no it's also characters or short little films or anything actually anything that comes to my mind you know like i wrote a joke the other day i was hiking on a trail and the joke is this basically because i talk about not being ripped off or looking for deals and i said you know when i was in college i bought a used mattress and it was like 50 bucks and apparently it was somebody's deathbed and i mean you wouldn't know except for the bullet holes and the smell <laughs> but it was a great deal i gotta tell you you know <laughs> but i have to write everything down otherwise i forget it yeah. And, and you know, there's nothing worse than coming up with something that you really like and then you can't remember what it was. Right. Well, I, I've said it to you personally and a little bit today. I, I respect you and your career and your dedication so much. Clearly, one of the funniest people that I've ever seen and had the opportunity to, to be around. And I wish you all the best luck with your future projects. But the painting, the caricatures... I'm so impressed with, and I, I not only will I buy it the day up, I know how important it is. I'm going to pre-order it. Oh, nice. Nice. I love that. There you go. Uh, that's yeah. cool. I like it. Thank, well, thank you. And I enjoy you too. And I'm, 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 uh, I was excited to be on your show here. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kevin. 
All right, Brian, let's go golfing. Oh, man. Kevin, I have to tell you, I am going to be very disappointed if a Brian Baumgartner caricature does not arrive at my door in three to five business days. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kind of. Your presence on the podcast was, well, the best gift of all. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, to you listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to keep up with the times, make sure to follow us on Instagram at OffTheBeat. And I will see you all next week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Kristen Vermilia. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.